You've welcomed my family. Um, it's been such a joy to get to know some of you and your stories, uh, to get know, to know your church family and the, the life you live together. Um, it's been a real privilege. So thank you so much from up here uh, as well as in person. We're in Philippians chapter 4 today. Uh, as we begin, though, let's just think back over what we've seen over these last couple of days. Um, we started on Friday thinking about a church living in the middle of its story. Uh, we saw the beginning of the church with those, those conversions in Philippi, that unlikely beginning, those wildly different origins coming together into a family that had to cope with the immediate removal of their teacher, Paul. And we came into the first chapter of Philippians and we saw Paul uh, rejoicing with them in the power of partnership, of fellowship, of prayer. And uh, we've come through and we've seen him talk about um, the reality of life now in the light of eternity. That yes, we long to go and be with Christ. And yet now, today, there is work that is meaningful, full of dignity, purpose um, and wonder today. And that that work often looks like working with one another for the progress and joy in the faith of each other. We came through chapter 2. and we, we skipped over a lot of stuff, but uh, we came on to chapter 3 looking at uh, what it looks like um, to imitate those who live uh, lives in Christ. And what we've seen throughout this is, is Paul coming kind of down the mountain. He's given us these big ideas uh, to apply. And yet we remember the whole way through he's speaking relentlessly to everyone in the church. He won't let anyone switch off. He says, here's the big ideas. Here's getting closer. Here's getting closer. And what we're going to see in chapter 4 is him saying, here's you. Here you are. Let's talk about what this looks like on the ground. So there's going to be a bit of that this morning. It's funny, preaching on a Sunday from the end of a book, that's kind of a sermon in itself. So you feel like you're starting at the end of the message. We're going to jump straight into that. It's going to be good. Um, But before we do that, let's remember our book in a sentence. Philippians, rejoice to the end in the selfless, life-shaping love of Jesus. We're on to that life-shaping section this morning. Let me pray before we read our passage. Lord Jesus, you are gentle with us. We praise you. You know the beginning, middle, and end of our stories. You're kind and patient. We praise you that you give us Uh, What we could never have outside of you, life and love and knowledge uh, of you. We praise you that you fill our lives with gladness. That we can honestly rejoice and obey the the constant commands in this book to rejoice when we see who you are and how you delight in us. Lord, please would you open your word to us this Sunday morning and speak to us as your body gathered. Amen. Let me read to you uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. We had 4 verse 1 last night, we're going to have it again. Therefore, at the end of this book, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Apologies that we don't get on to chapter 10 onwards. Again, dive into it on your own after this weekend. It's gold. It's worth digging into. Um, the first thing we, we see in this passage is, is two very unusual names in verse 2. Euodia and Syntyche. It's strange for a number of reasons. Firstly, their names we're not familiar with. No one calls their children Euodia and Syntyche. Probably because of why they're being identified. Although I, I think there's a case to be made for saying, actually, these are great names. Um, but also because we're seeing, yet again, these specific personal names in Philippians. And I wonder if you notice that throughout the New Testament. You get quite a lot of names of people who we don't really know who they are. But we learn from that that the Lord cares deeply about individuals. About the lives of real people in real churches. And he cares enough that he sets it in scripture for us to see 2,000 years later. Whoever Euodia and Sinski were, whatever struggles they were going through, he cares. And um, I think another lesson we learned from Euodia and Syntyche is that conflict will arise. Remember, we're talking about the Philippians, a church whom Paul adores, who have done great stuff. These two women, how are they identified? They have labored side by side with me, Paul, in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. They're two of these people he's been talking out throughout the book, fellow laborers, co-workers, brothers, sisters. He loves them, and yet there's conflict. They need to agree in the Lord. Um, and the second part I want you to see, they need help. Verse 3, I ask you also, true companion. It's not clear if that's just a general term for someone or anyone in the church who's going to help and prove themselves a true companion. Or perhaps it's the name of an individual person that just happens to fit well with the theme of the book. It could be that this is a person called Sitigus, which means faithful companion, maybe doesn't matter so much as the fact that these two women, who are godly women, who have laboured in the gospel, who are facing disagreement, need the help of friends in the church. The Christian faith is not a solo sport. Chasing after holiness and rejoicing is not something we do alone or that we leave other people to do on their own. Real people and real relationships matter. And sorry, this is very early to be thinking about this, but I want you to think right now, is this comparable to anything you find yourself in? Euodia and Syntyche, beloved daughters of Christ, in conflict. Is there anyone, or is there a name, someone whom you know is in Christ, who is a co-laborer and yet... And yet you need help to reconcile. Pray right now. 
ask that the Lord would reveal that if there's no if it doesn't come to mind. And that if there is someone in that situation that you would have the heart to long to reconcile with them and then that someone would help you in that. Take a moment to pray. When we're faced with conflict within the church, the right response is to say, I am weak. I cannot do this alone. And to find someone we trust to help us. And say, would you help me? Would you help us? We know this isn't how it ought to be. I know this person loves Christ. I know I want to be united and rejoicing with them, but I can't do it alone. Would you help me? Be gentle with one another. We're going to see three things in this passage. Firstly, be gentle. Secondly, be genuine. And thirdly, be glad. Be gentle with one another. Friends, you're part of a church. Anyone who's been part of a church for a while will know we need to be gentle with each other. We, of all people, know that we're sinners. We know we've got prickly edges. We know we get convinced of something that maybe it takes us decades to see. Maybe we shouldn't have been so convinced of. We need to be gentle with one another. And Paul takes this so seriously that he appeals to two people by name in a public letter to say, hey guys, be gentle. Love one another. But it's not just with each other. It's a wonderful thing to be gentle with each other and help each other in that. We need to be gentle with outsiders as well. Look at verses 5 to 7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Stay in verse 5 with me for a minute. That word reasonableness, um, it's one of these notoriously difficult words to figure out what it means. Let me show you how a few different translations go at it. ESV says reasonableness. NIV says gentleness. King James, moderation. New living, considerate. Um, American Standard Bible, forbearance. Think about what all those different words mean. doesn't matter so much as the fact that it shows us this is a complex idea. It's difficult to say what this means. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What is it that people should know the church for? Reasonableness. Let me tell you what the word means in a little bit more detail. Um, it means kind of this willingness to listen and consider other people's positions. Literally, not insisting on every right or letter of the law or custom. Being reasonable. Not insisting on every point. It, um, it has a kind of parallel in 1 Peter 3.15 where he's talking about be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in the gospel and do this with gentleness and respect. That idea of gentleness is a different word but similar. And it's talking about being yielding, being yielding, gentle, kind, courteous in the way we uh, address ourselves to those who disagree with us. This is what Paul is longing for us to be known for among those who know us as his people. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Be gentle with outsiders. That means at church, when there's visitors. It means in the workplace. It means at home. Thinking rather than getting every point right, how can I be gentle and reasonable here? Knowing, knowing that the Lord is at hand. Because that's the reason we can be so gentle. 
If the Lord were not powerful and real and immediate and here, we would have to do a whole lot of fighting. But since he is, since he is at hand, we can afford some wiggle room. He's got it. We can admit our limitations, the reality of our sinfulness and the limits of our knowledge. I know we're Presbyterians and we know everything. (laughs) We can admit we don't. But we can be convinced that he does. That he's real and alive. That his word is faithful and true. Even though we're not. And so we can contend for the faith of the gospel in a manner that shows people that confidence. And that we're not worried about it. That we don't have to be right. We don't have to prove ourselves. That we have sinfulness and limitations that we're comfortable with because of Christ. Because he's born them. So we can be reasonable and gentle and maybe have a little less of an attitude of war. And a little more warmth at times. I felt nothing but warmth from you guys. This is not a rebuke. This is speaking out of my own heart. (laughs) Knowing what I'm like. Be gentle with each other. Be gentle with outsiders. Be gentle with yourselves. I love the progression of this passage, how he goes through from Euodia and Syntyche to everyone, and then carry on verse 6 with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. I want to suggest that when he says don't be anxious, he's talking about not remaining in anxiety. Being anxious is something we all experience. Some of us know it, some of us don't. Some of us don't understand why our body feels this way. <laughs> Maybe it's anxiety. Um, and I, I want to very quickly say that sometimes we, we, we cut off the first half of this verse and we can use it as a bit, bit of a bludgeon to one another. We need forgiveness for that. And we say to someone, well, just don't be anxious. Don't you know God's God? Stop it. Don't be anxious. That underestimates a whole lot of different things. It underestimates the grammar of the verse, for one thing. You cannot separate those two things. They are inextricably linked. We'll talk about that in a second. It also underestimates God's common grace and how he's given wonderful things like medication that help with the brokenness of our bodies when we're facing anxiety. So please, if you've faced that stigmatization of anxiety, let go of it. It's okay. You're not being told off here. Don't be anxious. Don't remain in that anxiety. But bring those things in prayer and urgent request. That, that um, word there, supplication. It's talking about bringing urgent requests. Coming to God and saying, I can't bear this. And this is inviting us to come and bring that unpolished to him. Don't stay in your anxiety. Don't feel you have to boil it up and, and keep it until it's resolved. But bring it to him because he cares for you he's big enough he's big enough to deal with it and so we bring these things to God and there's just wonderful truths about who Christ is in this that we then can sleep because he doesn't we can fail because he won't we can trust him those things we said before that he is beautiful enough That we don't need to long for any other beauty. He's strong enough that his arms can hold us. He will be there at the end when everything else is gone. 
he will not let you go. So be gentle with yourselves. And you see what he says happens here as we do this, as we develop these patterns of coming to him in prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that means you're not going to get it. It's not going to make sense. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That may take time. And yet over time, there will be, in some sense, that testimony of how he has guarded you. Why? Because he's promised he will be your God. Be gentle with yourselves. Be gentle with each other. Be gentle with outsiders. We'll come back to verse 4, don't worry. But moving on to 8 and 9, we thought about being gentle. Next, be genuine. Church, be genuine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, if we're not exerting our efforts on kind of hounding each other and fighting outsiders and churning in anxiety, what do we do with our time? Because we've got so much time doing that, right? That's what gives so much life purpose and drive. And yet there's so much here that we can do when we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, if your efforts aren't spent on those things, then you're free to pursue what is good. Free to, kind of, to, to see people and the world that God has made. And to, to wonder. To look for the good. To see what God has put in creation. Remember at creation, his verdict upon it was, it is good. And yes, there's been a fall and there is brokenness and there is sin that is insidious and creeps into everything. And yet, everything that sin has crept into still remains created by God. Still bears the mark of its creator. Every person, however lost in their sin right now, still is in the image of God. Every part of what he's made, however much it suffers under the curse, there is beauty and truth in it. And that is wonderful. It gives our lives this depth we just don't have without Christ and yet in him we do there is so much to rejoice in and enjoy in this world um, you've gone a whole weekend with someone who's at Reformed Theological Seminary without hearing from any Dutch theologians and you're about to hear from two like buses, you wait forever two come along at once Abraham Kuyper famously said there is not one thumb breadth of creation over which Christ does not cry mine there is no part of our lives that is just separate from him and unredeemable to be abandoned and not looked back on. It is his. And so we live in God's world. We don't get twisted in knots about the evil of society. Yes, we fight for the good and we defend the weak. But we don't let that dominate. We weep and we take it to God. We bring our anxiety to him. And then we know we're free to rejoice in his world that he owns, that he made, that he loves. He shoulders the burdens and he cares for you as his child. And he wants you to go after what is good. He's put plenty of it here. And so we practice these things just like Paul did. We had Kuiper, let's have Bavink. Everyone's favorite. Herman Bavink. 
he has a lovely little insight into verse 8, where you get this great big list of eight things. Um, and he points out that the first four things here are things that are only ever said of God. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure. The Bible does not use these words for things that are not God. And so the first thing we've got to see here is that we are, <laughs> are to think about God and pursue knowledge of him. It doesn't mean everyone has to go to seminary. But it does mean each one of us has this, this, this joy to look into who God is. To get to know him, to see him revealed in his word. To think about him. To consider him. To jump at the chance to learn more about him, to spend time with him. That's the first set of imperatives here. He is true and honourable and just and pure, so think about him. Talk about him. I remember being part of a student Bible study group, uh, and we realised as undergraduates, you know, <laughs> fools. Um, <laughs> we realised we never talked about Jesus outside of our formal Bible study time. And it was a real check on our hearts. We kind of stood there and thought, what are we doing? We say he's everything, and yet, outside of these formal times, we never talk about him. And so we made the really super awkward decision to start, just start trying to talk about him more naturally. Have him in our conversation. And it was, it was beautiful. As beautiful as a bunch of you know, young men in their 20s can be, which is not very. <laughs> but by God's grace, just a little. Think about God. Pursue knowledge of him. Talk to him. Secondly, those second four things. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, remember how there's such grace flowing through this book that we're not looking for something that is purely that, but, but any. A little bit. Think about such things. Think about them when you see them in the lives of the friends in your church. Commend them, encourage them, speak about them. Tell people. When there's something commendable, excellent. There is something that is lovely in one another. Talk about it. Think about it. Don't just let it go assumed. It's great to recognize these things in one another. And it's good to ask people, what have you found? What have you found as you've gone through life in the way that God has ordained your life with your giftings and your career and your family background and your travels and adventures and all that? What have you found that is lovely and commendable and um, worthy of praise and excellent? Because I, I want to learn more about my God and I know that he has shown you things he hasn't shown me. And I long to learn from what he's shown you. Isn't it just so wonderful when someone shares something they love with you? One of my best friends is an organist. We met when we were 16 and he was already an organist. That was bizarre. I'd never met a 16-year-old organist before. But um, I, I, I thought this was very, very strange. But as he talked about it, as his passion overflowed, as he, as he told me off for asking for a CD of organ music to listen to while studying, because he said, no, you're ignoring it. You've got to listen to it. <laughs> he had such deep passion for it that I began to see the beauty of it and now my wife will tell you I have a, a no slightly annoying deep passion for choral music um, because this guy shared the depth of what was lovely and commendable and beautiful in that and he's a believer and he showed me something of how he understood God better through this beautiful thing that he put in his creation and put in his people to be able to do 
Friends, there's things that God has dropped in each of you that every one of us can learn from. That as we ask one another, we can see some of the wonders he's put in his world. And as we do, we, start, we can push out some of the hunger we think we still have for the things that are not those things. Thomas Chalmers, uh, famously the old Scottish theologian or something like that, um, said, um, he used to talk about the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. That when you get a new love, something, a new affection, it, it pushes out the old. And if we're longing to push out affections that we know are not these things, that are not good, that are not lovely, and yet we find them compelling, just trying to give them up will not work. We'll keep being drawn back to them because there's a part of our soul that longs for them. But if we push it out with a new affection, if we fill our hearts with things that are genuinely worthy of those things we long for, we're obeying Paul's command and we're moving towards freedom. It's a long journey, but it's a wonderful journey. So be genuine. Be a little bit naive. Say, yes, I'm going to go after what's pure and lovely in my God and in his people and his world. Be gentle, be genuine, be glad. The power to do these things doesn't come from ourselves. Remember chapter 3. Building an impregnable fortress of holiness is just counterproductive. We end up beating ourselves up, mutilating the flesh. We don't drive out of guilt and shame into these things. The power is in the rejoicing and the gladness. Look at verse 4. How do we do it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't just generally rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. He's worthy of it. He is the only one who's endless goodness keeps coming in whom the rejoicing just finds mileage get to know him celebrate his character ask him remember he's the living God who cares for you ask him to give you joy ask him to reveal to you parts of his self and of his creation that will spark rejoicing in your soul to wake up parts of yourself that have gone to sleep from lack of stimulation He cherishes you and he delights to answer those prayers. Never forget that he created you deliberately as you are. He cherishes you and he delights to answer those prayers. He will never command you. This is the fun thing about God. He doesn't command you to do things that he will not give you the resources to do. It doesn't mean he'll not ask you to do things that are incredibly difficult and take you beyond the end of yourself and make you cast yourself on the help of others. But he will provide those resources. And when he commands us to rejoice, that's no different. He's commanded you to do it, and so he will provide what you need in order to rejoice. I know it might take years, but he's got eternity, and he will do it. So ask him to teach your heart and your soul and your body and your mind. Remember the way he talks about you? Talk about yourself that way and ask him to teach all of you to rejoice in him. It's not a dumb prayer. It's one of the wisest prayers you can pray. Lord, you know me better than I know myself. Would you teach me to rejoice? The Lord is at hand, verse 5. 
We rejoice in the Lord. We see the spiritual reality for Paul. He's never in doubt that the Lord is right here. It's kind of ambiguous. The Lord is at hand. Does it mean he's about to return? Maybe. Can't say no. Um, But it also allows for this idea that, that he is right here with us. He is in this. He's not far. I think it's deliberately ambiguous. He's at hand. He's near us. He's with us. Regardless of the situation. He's at hand and his peace will guard us. It guards us not because we get to some deep level of understanding of who he is, but because of who he is. He guards our hearts and our minds, our affections and our intellect, our everything. He's taken it on as his duty to guard. So when you feel unguarded, just ask him, Lord, I know you've promised this. Would you do it? And would you remind me that you are doing it? Be glad. And of course, in verse 9, he can't let it go. Imitate what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Learned, received, heard and seen. You don't go through all those four steps unless you're in a deep relationship with someone over time. So let me drive that point in one more time. We grow in holiness. We grow towards God in community as we see those whom he has been working in up close. We live alongside them and we learn from them. We're not abstracted out as a bunch of individuals just kind of only relating to Christ. We relate to him as a community, as his body, constantly interacting and seeing him at work in one another. Yes, in the things that he causes people to rejoice in, but in the way they walk through suffering in everything, we learn how to follow God. Remember Hebrews 11. That writer is not shy about saying, look around. Look at other people. See how they have had faith and copy them. We've seen this weekend that Christ is good to us. We've seen that we get to rejoice to the end in the selfless and life-shaping love of Jesus. We've realized that we're living in the middle of the story, a fair way from the beginning for most of us and a fair way from the end. We've seen that he's given us dignity and purpose and work to do. Um, labor for the progress and joy of others, first in your church family and beyond. You've seen he loves us, that he loves us with an open heart, with open hands and with open eyes, knowing the cost and also the glory that's going to come. And we've seen that he has given us each other to walk along the way together, to learn from. We're not lost in the world of ideas here. We're in the concrete realities of every day. So rejoice. Rejoice. The end of this chapter gives us just some concrete stuff that the Philippian church did. He says, you gave, and that made a real difference. That thing you did, that mattered. That had this impact. Go away, have a look at it. It's fun. Um, The point is, as you live in this obedience together as a church family, it has impact. So you can rejoice. Christ has set his name on you. He's called you his own. He will transform your lowly bodies and their brokenness into his glorious body. To be like his glorious body. He will provide you all you need to work out your salvation as he works in you. How does he work in you? To his glory and good pleasure. Please remember that. He works in you through all the stuff of your life to his glory and his good pleasure. It glorifies him and it delights him.
to see you grow. Even through conflict, you already earned Sintiki. Even through loss, even through anxiety and stress and pressure, he has promised to guard your hearts and your minds in perfect peace. Let's ask him to do that. And let's see him answer those prayers. Let's finish our time in this book together with the final verses of the book. It's again wonderfully specific. Greet every saint, every single one of you in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us freedom. You've called us from death to life. You've given us a life of rejoicing to live together as we reflect on who you are and how you have loved us. Please, Lord, give us all we need to live these lives of rejoicing. Would you show us answers to prayer even in the coming weeks as we love one another and work for each other's progress and joy in the faith? Would you bless this church family? Would people look at them and see their gentleness, their courage, their gladness? And would they see you through that? Like those stars shining, those balls of fire burning, even as tiny pinpricks perhaps, but shining through the darkness as you promised to do in your people. We praise you that all of this is your work. You will do it. You've committed to us, not just for a lifetime, but for eternity. We praise and thank you, good Lord. Amen.